It has been debated since the beginning of science whether who you are is seated in the mind or the soul. In fact, the debate gets muddled really quickly as philosophers discuss if perhaps the mind is in the soul, or the adverse, perhaps idea of the soul is part of the mind. Without any doubt, whichever interpretation you tend to lean towards, the physical, squishy, bioelectrical brain is an essential part of the picture, and an essential part of however it is that we function, make lunch, make inventions, and make love. If you want to learn about cannabis health, cultivation, and technique efficiently and with good cheer, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you new podcast episodes as they come out, delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week and videos too. Don't rely on social media to let you know when a new episode is published. Sign up for the updates to make sure you don't miss an episode. Also, we give away very cool prizes to folks who are signed up to receive the newsletter. There's nothing else you need to do to win except receive that newsletter. So go to shapingfire.com to sign up for the newsletter this week and be entered in this month's and all future newsletter prize drawings. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I'm your host, Shango Lose. My guest today is cannabinoid researcher, Staten Laws. Staten Laws is an accredited health and wellness professional with an expertise in nutrition and over 10 years in practice. He earned a degree in health sciences and is presently a cannabinoid researcher, earning a PhD of medical science in the School of Biomedicine at the University of Adelaide, Australia. Staten has served as the graduate research assistant for several grant research projects in Hawaii and is currently a teaching assistant at the University of Adelaide Health and Medical Sciences. His research interests center on the nutraceutical properties of medical cannabis, and particularly, he has been published five times regarding the nutraprotective bioactivity of cannabis-prevalent terpenes and its implication for the entourage effects of medical cannabis, full-spectrum formulations, and potential use in dementia care. Staten is also the owner and founder of the nutrition company Sprouting Soul, which advocates a holistic approach to wellness predicated on ease and simplicity. Staten leads nutrition and yoga workshops on topics including detoxification, ketosis, and the art and science of living foods. Dedicated to a lifestyle of wellness, Staten has taught over 6,000 yoga classes in the USA and Australia and served as a lead facilitator for numerous yoga teacher trainings and masterclasses. During the first set today, we will understand what neurogenesis consists of and which cannabinoids encourage and support the creation of new brain cells. In the second set, we will learn about neuroprotection and how cannabinoids help us keep the brain cells we already have alive and functioning. And during the third set, we will focus specifically on cannabis supplementation, including dosing protocols for folks interested in health and longevity, as well as cannabis patients experiencing Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Welcome to Shaping Fire, Satan. I'm grateful to be here. Really glad to have you. So let's get right into it. You know, when we say that cannabidiol causes neurogenesis, what exactly do we mean by neurogenesis? That CBD promotes the creation of new brain cells. And is it, is it all types of brain cells, or is it only particular varieties of brain cells that cannabidiol can uh, cause to be produced? Well, I think we need to explain what neurogenesis is mm -hmm. and then break down how CBD plays a role in this process. Please. All right. So if we're going to break neurogenesis down into four different, I guess you could call them stages. And we're just, we're, you know, we're figuring this out. It wasn't until 1965 that we found in the dentate gyrus 
of the hippocampus that neurogenesis actually occurs. So we've been doing a lot since then to figure out how CBD can play a role. And look, we're still figuring out. But if we were to begin to address your question, where these cells multiply or begin to split is in the proliferation phase. And that, this might be a stretch, and I'm going to try to make an analogy with cannabis because this takes a similar amount of time for a cell, a neural stem cell, to multiply and then become a neuronal cell. So in the proliferation stage where these newborn neurostem cells and the hippocampus begin to multiply, we could compare this to the flowering tops of the cannabis plant and these neural stem cells could be the seeds inside this flowering top and they begin to multiply. In about two weeks, then this integration stage takes place. And that's after, say, the seeds transverse to the ground and these neuronal stem cells migrate to certain areas within the brain they begin to differentiate and start to spread out their axons and dendrites, forming these neuronal-like projections and becoming more specialized as a neuron, oligodendrocyte or astrocyte. So that's sort of the phase where they change their specific function in the neurogenesis uh, process. And that's very similar to, say, like a cannabis seed sprouting in the ground forming its roots and also beginning to project its fan-like leaves up towards the, the sunlight to receive photosynthesis and also nutrition from the soil. And then as these neural cells differentiate, they actually start to receive communication from other neuronal cells uh, and stabilize and begin attempting to establish functional connections such as receiving neurotransmitter signals as well as trophic support, which is the feeding and nutrition and also pro-survival factors, which we'll talk a little bit about throughout this conversation, such as blood-derived neuropic factor, neural growth factor, and a couple other chemicals that float around and sort of support this uh, maturation process. And it ends up, in the best case scenario, about six to eight weeks, which you might be able to educate me a little bit more on, which is, in my uh, understanding, is about the same amount of time it takes a seed to turn into a cannabis plant. Does that make any sense? Oh, six to eight weeks for flowering, probably another four if you include veg. But yeah, we're with you. And and since we're talking about time frame, I'm really surprised that there are like we're looking at this neurogenesis um, timeline on a scale of weeks. The facts, the fact that this um, this this you know this brain stem cell gets created and then it takes time to um, you know split and mature and migrate and then become the type Type of cell it's going to be in my mind you know when, when i see um uh you know illustrations on on you know tv or the internet all this stuff happens like really fast right the thing just moves and goes and it happens the fact that anything in the brain might take you know two to four weeks to develop and get to where it's going that seems like a glacier pace to me for the brain but you know uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a novice at, at understanding um, neuroscience, right? So it would make sense that I would have some incorrect expectations. I mean, but it, the, the multiplication phase, you know, from my research, I can say that it happens quite quickly. We're all see cells double or triple within two to three days in the lab. Um, and that's probably the most tangible thing that I can say as far as being able to see it happen mm -hmm. um, in real time versus reading about it. So, yeah, 
it's, uh, I think we're all learning about the exact timeline of this. I can imagine as a research scientist that when you're in the lab and you're visibly watching these neuronal stem cells um, splitting over these two or three days, that it's A, kind of exciting, and B, maybe even makes you feel like you're having, like, kid, like, oh, these are my babies, you know, these are my, you know, I'm, I'm growing these for research, and I got to take care of them and make sure they're fed correctly and everything. I would think that, that you would have a lot of, um, like, uh, care emotions for them. I don't know, maybe I'm anthropomorphizing too much, but I think I would care. Yeah, I would say so. I'm sort of, my life is sort of dictated by them. Uh, I don't really have a schedule. My schedule is based off of the cell growth. And, um, and also if I decide to differentiate them, that's another 48 hours with certain chemicals. So yeah. Yeah. They, uh, the fact that they run your life may is, is making them sound more like kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me get you back into your timeline. So, so we we've under, we've understood what happens, you know, regularly. So, um, I think where you were going next was, um, what adding uh, cannabidiol CBD to this interaction does to, uh, encourage it probably. Yeah. So we'll talk first about the indirect way and then the direct way. So the indirect way that CBD can help in the proliferation phase and the multiplication phase is by increasing anandamide, which is the bliss molecule that is an endogenous cannabinoid. And it does this by sort of blocking FA or fatty acid amide hydrosylase, which is an enzyme that breaks down the monohyde. And anandamide has the ability to bind to the CB1 and the CB2 receptor, which has been shown to promote cell proliferation. Mm. So that's in the first phase. So I would say that CBD, you know, has its way to sort of tone up the endocannabinoid system to promote the first stage of neurogenesis. And then CBD can influence cell proliferation directly by binding to the transient potential vanilla Lloyd type 1, or let's just call these things TRPV1 receptor, and the 5-HT1A receptor, which is the serotonin receptor, which is demonstrated to help, you know, the cell proliferation is also. Also, blood-derived nootropic factor, which uh, CBD can also promote, not only helps with cell proliferation, but also with the activation of uh, the differentiation and also helping the dendritic complexity, which would form into the maturation phase, as well as synaptic formation and plasticity of these newborn neurons. So through these TRPV1 receptors, the 5-HT1A receptors, and the blood-derived nootropic sort of promotion, it has different stages of uh, helping the neurogenesis process. That was a great explanation. I really enjoy having hardcore research scientists who are in the lab all the time on the show because you know the fine mechanics and and we're, we're really interested in that and and not well, we're trying to figure it out. It's yeah. really complicated. Well, yeah, I mean we all know that the science is active, right? But it's 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 a lot different than talking to um, a layperson who will give you the story of how it happens. Like like when patients talk to me, right? Like like I I might be able to describe those three things happening, but I'm not going to have the mastery of the language like you have that I think just makes us all feel like a bit more confident that, that we're learning the good stuff. Right. So, so I appreciate that. So, so as far as thinking about those, those, those three, um, 
those three ways that that cannabidiol supports neurogenesis um is it is it a fair model to think that what what happens when we take cbd is we are essentially like turning up the governor on the engine a little bit because your brain will naturally do these three processes but when you add cbd it makes the whole process happen um with more gusto and and so like maybe maybe quicker and more yeah, that's a, a good way to look at it. Uh, I was going to explain it uh, as a if you pl- if you play guitar, so you're like tuning your guitar, um, while the chords of each the guitar or while the strings of each guitar actually are on a different note. When you tune them correctly and you play that note, that sound travels with more precision and actually has a chord or a t- a tone. And so I would say that CBD helps with the overall. Uh, tone of neurogenesis. Ah, so by your description, what then one of the things that CB does is increase the efficiency of this whole thing. Yep. Got it. Because oh. all these things are happening regardless of with CBD in or out of the body. By putting it in, like you said, to rev up the engine, it's actually like turning up the, the volume slightly through a coordination of events. I get it. So everybody is where they need to be when the performance starts and everybody's got all the resources they need. So the whole manufacturing team is just efficient and ready to go. Yep. Got it. So, um, you know, when we talk about neurogenesis in the um, cannabis world, um, we're, we're usually exclusively talking about CBD because that's what most people are familiar with as a cannabinoid that causes neurogenesis. Um, But I know that we're continuing, of course, to expand our research to other novel cannabinoids. Um, Are we familiar with any other cannabinoids that cause neurogenesis in addition to CBD yet? Yeah, I would go with uh, Delta 9 THC as the other major phytocannabinoid that has been recognized as a promoter of neurogenesis in alignment with its function like anandamide mm-hmm. and its ability to have an affinity to that CB1, CB2 receptor, which along with that brain-derived nootropic factor is what causes that first stage of neurogenesis. And in a rat model, I think it was around 1.5 milligrams a kilo, which they called uh, somewhat lower dose, acute and chronically administered to a certain amount of time. They did show that it enhanced neurogenesis, cognitive function, and performance. And so if we looked at the sort of function of delta-9 THC, I'd maybe extend that. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch to delta-8 because it does have some binding ability to CB1 and CB2, and maybe even CBN, which even has a lesser degree of binding ability to those two receptors. So when we're when we're looking at the other um, uh, significant neurogenesis agent in in D9THC, um, is it essentially um, helping neurogenesis? in the same three areas of process as the CBD 
or is it mostly just at the first step since both CBD and D9 THC are acting on the anandamide, which which helps that first step? Is is THC helping all the way in the all the way down the line in those three different time frames like CBD does, or is it really mostly just there at the beginning? Uh, it's a good question. I would have to look into you know how much delta nine plays a role in differentiation and integration, mm-hmm. as well as the maturation of the brain cell. And I think that could get into to the, some of that controversial application of uh, THC in time frames in life. But mm-hmm. my guess would be yes, it does play a role in the development of the brain cell. Interesting. All right. So um, let's uh, let's switch sides of the equation here. So so up to this point, we've been talking about the the you know the CBD and THC helping uh, and 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 making this neurogenesis process more efficient and more robust. Um, these 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 neuronal um, stem cells that split, 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 and then they mature, and then they migrate to where they're going to become the kind of cell they're, they're going to become. Um, can these neuronal stem cells um, turn into any sort of cell in the brain, or are they only particular flavors? When you mean the particular cell of the brain, they can become a neuronal cell, an oligodendrocyte, or an astrocyte, from my understanding. And to a certain degree, different areas of the brain, uh, I think it was, we just recently saw how this, this kind of occur in the hypothalamus, the, st- the striatum, the substantia nigra, and I think we're finding maybe some more areas of the brain where this does occur. All right, on that is a good answer, and I, and I'm also going to change my question a little bit to get at something a little different, which is, um, what if I were to change the question and say, are there any brain cells that cannot be replaced by this neurogenesis that we described? Like areas of the brain that yeah, just that cannot my, my, happen. Yeah, the idea, the what I'm what I'm trying to get to is that it, 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 you know neurogenesis is great, and if it can replace all the parts of, of our brain, that's even cooler. But if there are some parts of our brain that that just can never benefit from neurogenesis, I'd be curious to know what it is. Yeah, that's a good question. I can't answer that specifically, but I have hope that the answer is yes. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And you know, and and this is what happens when we do an interview on the edge of of the science we know, right? So we're we're probably going to run into some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so if if we're clear now that uh, CBD and THC can help along the neurogenesis, and and we know that neurogenesis can uh, replace an entire variety of, uh, of of different types of 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 brain cells. Um, uh, I want to look at a potential um, other limiting factors that could slow down this neurogenesis since kind of the point of today is what is neurogenesis and how can we you know encourage it right so so um, are there other inputs and and there might be too many to mention I'm open to this but but are there other inputs that need to be present um, uh, that um, if not present, is going to reduce the ability of cannabidiol and THC to do this um, increase 
of efficiency and increase in robustness of this process. And 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 what I imagine you might say is, oh, it needs this particular um, brain chemical 5-HTP. And so, you know, we encourage people to take supplements to also encourage neurogenesis along with the CBD and THC. I think the easiest way to answer that would be health. Oh, right on. Whole food diet. <laughs> but, you know, but, Get exercise. Uh, I mean, let's uh, break health down into three categories. We'll Great. start with oxygen, which, you know, we, we got to have that. You hold your breath and eventually no brain cells will be doing much anymore. <laughs> uh, next thing we need is hydration or H2O or, you know, water and uh, nutrients. And so more specifically, when we sort of say, okay, well, we can get air and water. We sort of take that a little bit for granted. Hopefully it's both clean air and water. And we get into nutrients. I would say probably the number one would be long chain fatty acids, particularly omega-3s play a a pretty good role in uh, some of these processes that promote neurogenesis. The second one would be polyphenols, uh, more specifically flavonoids. And then the third would be a healthy microbiome. And we, we can get into those three if you'd like and what supplements maybe would be best if that wasn't part of your whole food diet approach. Right on. Let's hold on uh, on that that next protocol question and like what and how much to take for the third set because I've got that yep. I got that sitting down there to talk about. So, all right. So, um, so assuming all these components are in place, um, do we know about a dosage threshold for uh, CBD to cause neurogenesis? Essentially, how much do we need to take for this process to be improved at all? Oh, well, I think most of our research that could get around a dosage comes from either in vitro, which means cellular, or in vivo, which is basically rat models. And if I was to condense everything I've read up to this point, it would be around 3 to 10 milligrams per kilogram. And that becomes pretty hard to translate in a human due to the bioavailability and uh, as well as where we're at with understanding how it even interacts different inside the human versus other uh, creatures. Um, me- meaning that um, you can make this guesstimate based on the lab science, but but you just doing like a quick scale up based on your experience, you're saying up front that th- it would be hard to defend this number because we don't really know yet. Correct. Okay, got it. But CBD is a, a relatively safe molecule, so it's therapeutic range is probably going to be best uh, gauged at what condition you might be trying to use it for. Um, And I think the idea of using it for neurogenesis is really unexplored, especially in humans. So we, we have to, you know, traverse slowly with that recommendation. Yeah, I, I I understand that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I it took so long me for me to find you and hunt you down in Australia, right? There's just not a lot of people who are doing this particular work that you're working on um, around cannabinoids and neurogenesis. Um, you know, uh, 
I'm going to ask you a quick math question just because you play with these numbers all the time. Um, but, you know, the three to 10 milligrams per kilogram a day, you know, the very rough guesstimate that you gave, do you have an idea of how many milligrams a day that is for, say, somebody who's 150 pounds? We don't do metric here. So I haven't gone back and forth between, you know. Yeah, I think that's around about 70 kilos. So you say that upper threshold times 10, 700 milligrams a day. Cool. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate lower you doing threshold. That. Uh, let's just say you weigh more and make the numbers easier. Say you weigh 100 kilos and three milligram dosage would be on the lower end around 300. Uh, and I think a recent study just came out that synthesized all the literature that they've done in human studies and said the safe dose is around 60 to 100 milligrams per day. So uh, 60 to 100 milligrams per day when we were talking about 300 to 700? Yeah, that's more of the therapeutic range. I see, I see. Yeah. So we talk a lot here on Shaping Fire about the compare and contrast between um, isolates and whole plant medicine. And, you know, anybody who listens to the show knows that uh, I'm, no, I'm no stranger to be pushing whole plant medicine versus isolates while, while definitely also understanding that isolates have their place. For example, if you need a novel cannabinoid and it makes sense for you to spike your, your cannabis oil because you're, you need a cannabinoid that's very hard for you to get or to grow or something like that, um, like, like many of us did in the early days before we had access to CBD plants but we could get CBD isolate from Europe. Um, and, and, I, and I also know that most of these studies are using isolates because the studies, um, you know, are, they're, they're looking to set up future pharmacology and they want the isolates so that they can, you know, reproduce their results. And also it's just, you know, a lot easier and, and less, um, I don't know, sloppy to work with isolates than it is trying to deal with, you know, a, a direct whole plant resin. All of that said, we also know that, the, you know, we're big believers in the entourage effect and the fact that having, you know, groups of various cannabinoids together, they, they, they act synergistically with each other um, f so that everybody can do their job better. So all this just sets up this question. Um, do you think that you would get um, a, a, a better play from your CBD if you're um, taking it in a whole plant cannabis oil, you know, commonly known to as like an RSO or something? Or uh, do you find there's, or, or from your research, would you expect there's not going to be any difference between the isolate and the whole plant, or perhaps even it's, it's favoring the isolate, which will make me cry, but I'll believe you. I mean, that's a, that's a big question, but mm -hmm. we'll go with, uh, let's just look at CBD as a molecule first. So we could call that an isolate or CBD. And what we've learned on a molecular functional level has mostly to do with the isolate. So if we were to say that's, you know, the, the backbone and we were to go whole plant, uh, that it, we'd maybe have to look at extraction methods and what is in that uh, whole plant extract. But let's say that whole ec plant extract could be broken down into uh, CBD, maybe some small, small amounts of other cannabinoids, terpenes, which could be, you know, quite a few, maybe Some can 15 something. And then you have your can of flavins on top of that. And 
each of those has a little bit of a role in therapeutic uh, targets. So I would, you know, I'm a I'm a whole plant um, promoter as well. I would think you would get a, some sort of synergistic effect from a whole plant extract, and then we can get into maybe the bioavailability that it would enhance, uh, because terpenes do play a role in, you know, enhancing the bioavailability of cannabinoids that's interesting so so um we would think that the 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 whole resin preparation um would just you know join with our body systems at a a, at an easier and less frictious rate than a straight isolate would i think so i think Mm -hmm. our body would be able to handle it more intelligently because that's if we were to look at the you know the maybe the potential of ten thousand years of co-evolution with the plant and the fact that we could have been using this plant for that long then our body would have more of an intelligence with it as a whole plant extract than an isolate right on so um, we have seen like mm -hmm. an observationally in patients with severe epilepsy there have been notable improvements with far lower doses of cbd extract than purified cbd so there is a little bit of uh, clinical research around that uh, but not yet with neurogenesis right on great thank you um all right one more question before we go to break and 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 this one is kind of a corollary question but doesn't really stem from the last one so so we've been talking about this neurogenesis process that we like to uh you know turn up the volume on by taking cbd and and thc and so everything is happening more robustly and um um i was gonna say aggressively it's probably not the right word but (laughs) robustly um I'm assuming that there are some either um, um, resources the brain may need or damage that may have occurred to the brain that is impeding neurogenesis that not even adding cannabidiol can overcome. And so what I'm specifically looking for are any suggestions you might have of, of, um, you know, pre-existing damage to the brain that might block CBD from doing its job because that that brain issue is actually shutting down the the neurogenesis in ways that the CBD cannot overcome. Yeah, I think that's when we start getting into where this leads into uh, Alzheimer's disease. You know, once you get beyond that point of dendritic and uh, axonal breakage there isn't much of a chance that anything is going to save that neuronal cell and if we look at that as a collective whole or a neuronal circuitry uh, connection line and if a certain amount of it gets broken down then you know the chances of recovery are going to be pretty minimal to that circuit uh, so getting on board sooner rather than later would make cbd more beneficial Right on. Now, um, I know your specialty is more in Alzheimer's, which we'll be talking about at more length later. Um, but the the other disease that I'm often talking to patients about that involves neurogenesis is Parkinson's. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've been told by scientists, you know, just 
you know, standing at conferences and stuff that, that one of the reasons why CBD helps Parkinson's patients is because it causes neurogenesis because a good deal of the impact from Parkinson's is because they are losing their dopamine excreting neurons. And, and, uh, that's a one way trip if there's not neurogenesis. And so CBD is causing more of these, um, these brain cells to come into existence, which, um, kind of like holds the line on the Parkinson's to hold it from, from getting worse. A, do you have any point of reference on this to speak to it? And, and, and B does, uh, is that process potentially similar like to the one that we just described um around um alzheimer's yeah if we were looking at um a level of dopa magiric neurons and their ability to produce dopamine which i just kind of recently learned about 80 percent of parkinson's is or is due to the lack of dopamine and due to the lack of the dopamine producing neurons. So if we could create more of these neurons, technically we could create more dopamine and effectively treat Parkinson's disease. And Parkinson's disease also has a protein very similar to Alzheimer's disease. So Alzheimer's disease, the main pathological hallmark is amyloid beta. And in Parkinson's, it's alpha-synuclein. And CBD has shown or demonstrated in preclinical research that it stops the aggregation not completely but it will help augment some of the aggregation of these two proteins that create quite a toxic environment extracellularly which affects their function and eventually creates cell death or you know mm-hmm. uh, the no longer functioning neurons which connect to each other and create a communication line throughout the brain Wow, that's really interesting. All right, cool. Well, thank you for that, Staten. Um, let's go ahead and take our first of two short breaks, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is phytocannabinoid researcher Staten Laws. Fish poop brand fertilizer is an all-natural fish poop concentrate with nothing added. Real fish poop is extraordinarily complex. Not only are you adding the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium your plants need to build mass, transport nutrients, and enhance flavor, but fish waste is also packed with biological activity and micronutrients. When you add fish poop to your irrigation water, you are adding life force, probiotics, and active microbes. These microorganisms include a wealth of various bacteria and protozoa, which further enhance nutrient availability for the plants. Because plants are limited by the absence of any essential micronutrient, these trace nutrients are the difference between having a decent garden and having a garden that makes you feel really proud of your efforts. Fish poop is a naturally complete solution that fills in the cracks in your fertilizer program to ensure you offer your garden a broad base of nutrients. Not all fish poop is created equally. Most products with added fish waste don't reveal their sources or lab results. Fish Poop brand Fish Poop, however, generates their own fish waste as a byproduct of their organic aquaponics cannabis farm where they raise ornamental koi and tilapia. You are even invited to tour their farm in person or on their YouTube channel to look for yourself. This sort of transparency is wildly rare in the fertilizer market. The folks behind Fish Poop are also lifelong medical cannabis producers who have deep connections in the community, donate more product than they sell, and support cannabis prisoner, veteran, and patient collectives and charities. 
To get your bottle of pure fish poop, go to fishpoop.com. And to see their entire line of cannabis products, go to ounceofhope.com. That's fish poop brand fish poop. As cannabis regulations become more demanding and consumers become more educated, it is increasingly important to avoid the use of chemical pesticides when cultivating cannabis. Beneficial insects have been used for decades by the greenhouse vegetable and ornamental plant industry, and today many cannabis cultivators are moving from sprays and chemicals to beneficial insects. Copert has the beneficial insects, mites, and nematodes, microbials, sticky cards, and air distribution units you need to partner with nature to defend your garden. Whether you manage acres of canopy or have a simple grow tent in your home, Copert is ready to help answer your questions and help you transition away from chemical sprays towards clean and natural solutions. Since 1967, Copert has assisted growers in identifying pests and devising reliable solutions while providing healthy insects and mites that will protect your yield. Since the 1990s, Copert has been a leader in cannabis pest and disease control worldwide and have highly trained consultants to assist you in Canada and the United States from coast to coast. With their global network of grower support, Copert can help. Visit copert.com, choose your country, and get detailed information. That's copert, K-O-P-P-E-R-T dot com. For the most up-to-date cannabis-related biological control information, you can also check their Instagram at Copert Canada. You know getting away from pesticides is good for health and good for business, and Copert is ready to help. Visit copert.com today. Businesses everywhere are striving to reach people through advertising. We all know, though, that trying to reach a cannabis audience with a quality message is pretty difficult. That's why many people choose to advertise on the Shaping Fire podcast. Advertising on this show allows us time to talk about your product, service, or brand in a way that really lets people know what sets your company apart from others. Bold people who own companies know that getting into relationship with their customers is essential, and that is what we offer. We will explain your service or product, what sets it apart as desirable, and help our audience get in contact with you. It's pretty simple, really. Advertising does not have to be all whiz-bang smoke and mirrors. Nowadays, I find that people prefer just to be spoken to calmly, accurately, and with good intentions. If you want to make your own commercial spot well, you can do that too. During these pandemic days, conventions and cannabis events are pretty poorly attended, but podcast listening is skyrocketing. With a commercial on Shaping Fire, you'll reach your customers in the privacy of their headphones right now, and will continue to reach new listeners as they explore the Shaping Fire back catalog of episodes again and again for years. A spot on Shaping Fire costs less than a printed postcard per person, and the Shaping Fire audience is full of smart cannabis enthusiasts, cultivators, and entrepreneurs who are always curious to learn. Do yourself a solid and contact us today for rates on podcast and Instagram advertising. Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out more.
Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Los, and my guest today is phytocannabinoid researcher, Staten Laws. So during the first set, we, we brought ourselves to an understanding of what neurogenesis is and how CBD and THC, and to a lesser degree, some other cannabinoids, we think, um, encourage and uh, cause neurogenesis to be uh, more robust. Now, here in set two, we're going to start talking about not how to uh, make these new um, brain cells. We're going to talk about how to protect the ones we've got. So, um, so Staten, you know, let's move on from neurogenesis. Which components of cannabis resin can be considered neuroprotectants? And can you give us a general definition of what that means? Yeah. So if we get back to that ability to protect a neuronal cell from um, cell death or from misfunctioning, there are many different constituents or chemicals inside the cannabis plant that could be made into a cannabis resin that will protect neuronal cells from things like the inflammatory response, and uh, free radicals such as reactive oxygen species so they can either act as an anti-inflammatory compound or an antioxidant to protect neuronal cells. That actually, when, you, when, put, that, when put that way, you know, the fact that they are components of cannabis resin that decrease inflammation and free radicals, that's a lot of different stuff, actually. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the, the characterization of one compound and its ability to do multiple things in different systems or places in the body. So, so whereas when it comes to neurogenesis, looking at the variety of all the components of the resin, you know, it's, it's primarily CBD, certainly some amount THC, maybe a bit, a few others. But when we talk about neuroprotection, um, cannabis resins is just essentially a soup of of good things that actually protect our brain in various ways. Um, yeah, I mean, if we start with the 545 identified compounds and we break that into 140 terpenes, 104 cannabinoids, 26 flavonoids, 20 steroids, and a whole bunch of lignin, stilbene, stilbenoids, and who the hell knows what else we're finding inside this in the next 20 years. Uh, and then we're mapping out their uh, potential to be neuroprotective uh, through all the different mechanisms. It gets really complex really quickly. But as a, a blob, uh, cannabis resin, I think we, we've got a few, few things we can discuss. Um, it seems to me like this would be very, uh, it, since there are so many uh, participants in neuroprotection, I would think that it would be hard to research them because you've got to tease them apart. And they're all working together in very high numbers and symbiotically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so when I asked you, you know, what are they protecting us from? Essentially, the the first two you mentioned was inflammation and and free radicals. Is that just like a huge bucket that that holds just about everything, or are there a couple others that you could check off for us? Uh, we can maybe, if you want to talk a little bit about the mechanisms, but if we were to look into diseases and what type of proteins might be causing these inflammatory responses and free radicals, 
we could look at uh, for Alzheimer's disease, amyloid beta and tau, which are two proteins that are forming to create inflammation and free radicals on the inside the cell and also inflammation outside the cell and how CBD can play a role in reducing inflammation and also uh, helping with the maybe even endogenous ability, so the cell's ability to uh, deal with these free radicals. Mm -hmm. Um, These... um, I don't like putting all. I don't like putting like Alzheimer's and dementia all in the in the same basket. And I don't, I don't like to generalize them. So I guess I'll just stick with Alzheimer's. Um, um, do we understand um, the functioning at this point of of Alzheimer's in the brain, where we are able to get down to the specific mechanisms that um, uh, of cannabis neuroprotection that's working? You kind of you gave me a little a little bait there with the mechanism, and and honestly, if if you can make it um, understandable to some degree to a layperson, I'd like you to go through that. Yeah, so. If we looked at a protein in the brain that forms naturally, amyloid beta is a naturally forming protein. It, it It's just part of everybody. Everybody's got some of that floating around in the brain. What happens is it begins to aggregate. And when it aggregates, it sort of clumps together and forms a plaque. And when too many of these plaques build up inside the brain, they begin to form inflammation, They also begin to irritate the cells and they form reactive oxygen species, lipid peroxidation. Now, one mechanism that uh, CBD and some of the other terpenes can do is actually to stop the aggregation of this protein. Therefore, it will reduce the cascade of negative effects from this protein by just becoming an anti-aggregatory agent therefore protecting the cells from cell death, either from an inflammatory cascade of chemicals or from an overproduction of reactive oxygen species. It all leads to cell death. All right. um, I've got two kind of corollary questions. The first corollary question is, um, if if inflammation is um, trying to inhibit Um, neurogenesis and by using cannabis we're decreasing the inflammation and and helping the neurogenesis you know i talk with so many patients that have got all these different inflammatory diseases from you know autoimmune and rheumatoid arthritis and you know just like you're just just like there's the whole list of these inflammatory diseases that are so common in our modern world um will this body inflammation also be likely presenting in the brain and and you know the the rheumatoid arthritis patient with all this body inflammation and all their joints is probably also having a difficult time uh, with neurogenesis but that's just not the part that's usually talked about in their disease yeah it's a really complex one uh yeah i would say that if there are targets inside certain cell families are on the cell inside cell families that are the same similar targets in the brain cells then we could say like one target that cbd is pretty good at 
uh, activating is the PPAR gamma uh, receptor, which once it's hit, it sort of blocks this cascade of pro-inflammatory mo- molecules such as you know like the tumor necrosis factor alpha, the interleukin one, and the, all these other cytokine released. Which you know this does it is fueled by amyloid beta, but there are other factors that go on in different sort of areas of the body where this could be a target for CBD to reduce this inflammation. Um, you know, for a lot of lay folks, um, you know, neuroprotection and neuroplasticity uh, for a lot of folks are like synonymous and they kind of use them interchangeably. Um, uh, how much truth is there to that? And, and if they're not the same thing, which I'm assuming they're not, um, would you explain what neuroplasticity is? I can give it my best attempt with saying neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to communicate in a simple way. Mm. So it's like uh, uh, this communication that we're using right now on the phone. If it gets real staticky, then it's not very plastic. We're not making connections. We're not communicating. But if it's clear, then we're having some good neuroplasticity, which would involve function, would involve uh, communication, and would also involve being able to, you know, because even cells can sort of change their shape to allow them to communicate better, which might even fall in the form of resilience or neuroplasticity. So I'd say it's function, communication, and adaption to different things that we learn or, you know, I guess we're still trying to map that one out. But if the cell is healthy, it's going to function better. Therefore, it will be more plastic or neuroplastic. Using layman's terms, I can see how cannabidiol would add to neuroplasticity since we often think of CBD as a signaling molecule. And if at the heart of neuroplasticity is communication and the ability to communicate, you know, throughout the cells, it would seem that adding more CBD um, would be able to, you know, encourage uh, more and more rapid communication communication between the different um you know neurons yeah yeah and one uh, molecule in particular that i find interesting with cbd's abilities is to enhance acetylcholine which is sort of like the master communicator between you know neurons and there's a particular enzyme acetylcholterase that breaks down acetylcholine and um, if we can block acetylcholterase to a certain extent, we can enhance the ability of acetylcholine in its communication between cell and cell, which is actually some of the AD therapeutics drugs that are out there do. So, and from that functional standpoint, CBD does enhance the communication or the neuroplasticity between the cells. So if, if we're wanting to use cannabinoids to increase our neuroplasticity, can you give me a couple of examples of, of things that either A, things that we might do that might decrease the neuroplasticity, or if you want to keep it on the molecular level, the, the kinds of things that can inhibit our neuroplasticity? Uh, well, there's lots of toxins that will get in there and block the communication. I, th- I think if you... 
overdue THC, it can somewhat crowd the communication line or just, you know, stop it wanting to function altogether, uh, which has its benefit in, in some degree. Uh, but if we wanted to enhance the communication, then we got to make these cells functional and as healthy as possible. So there's a lot of factors that go into how to enhance this communication. So it sounds like we're talking about like, you know, um, you know, everything in, environmental toxins, um, you know, probably a lot of different types of pharmaceuticals, um, alcohol, um, you know, huffing acetone, you know, there's probably lots of all, all of these things probably ha, uh, would impact neuroplasticity in different ways so that we're kind of we're kind of back to the place where we were when first set we're where we're talking about you know good living helps all of this stuff we're talking about for sure Mm -hmm. all right so um let's let's now focus on the impacts of a brain um without neurogenesis which will kind of set us up for the third set talking about um um you know some of these ways that that we can help patients so um yeah I've always just assumed that um, decreasing neurogenesis is generally a part of aging. And based on what we just said, if we're doing more things that age us, like, you know, smoking tobacco and drinking and, and, you know, poor sleep and all these things that, that, um, these will all impede neurogenesis, um, over time. Um, is, is, is that true or is, is there a particular mechanism at the heart of it that I'm missing? No, that in general, I'm going to agree with you that just aging itself will promote the degeneration of, uh, neuronal cells. And, <clears throat> inhibit the ability for neurogenesis to occur. But if we looked at, say, a toxin like even alcohol, CBDs comes in there and we've seen that it can, one, reduce your cravings to take it, and two, can also protect uh, the liver from inflammation and even brain cells from oxidative stress. Uh, So, you know, to some extent there is some things we can't avoid, but if CVD is coming around and you know showing us that hey, this can show some neuroprotection alongside of a neurotoxin, then uh, we we have a, at least some defense uh, that we can use outside of just you know lifestyle. Right on. Great. Well, I don't think we need to, um, to, to bang on the eat whole foods, get exercise, live well drum anymore. Um, I think we're pretty much set. So, so dear listener, um, stay with us. We're going to take our uh, second short break, but when we come back on, uh, for set three, we're going to talk specifically, um, about Alzheimer's and dementia and also longevity. So if, uh, if you, you know, if you're presently pretty healthy, but you just want to stay that way, um, uh, stick around to learn more about that as well. So uh, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is phytocannabinoid researcher, Staten Laws. There are so many seed banks nowadays that you really have options in who to choose. Not only that, if you pick the wrong seed bank, you could be in for a really sketchy ride. And that's only one of the reasons I recommend Gas Lamp Seeds to my friends and listeners who are looking for a seed bank. You probably already know Gaslamp Seeds as Hembra Genetics. Hembra recently changed their name to Gaslamp Seeds. 
Gaslamp Seeds is not just another seed bank. Gaslamp is a female-operated boutique cannabis genetics provider that only sells thoughtfully curated seeds from the top names in cannabis breeding. With over 60 breeders and over a thousand strains to choose from, you will certainly find something you'll love. Gaslamp Seeds has something for everyone with over 650 feminized strains, 300 regular varieties, and over 200 autoflowers to choose from. Names you know you can trust, like Compound Genetics, Humboldt Seed Company, Night Owl, In-House, Fast Buds, Gnome Automatics, and Ethos. And we both know that there are other seed banks who will take your money but have no customer service. I invited Gaslamp to advertise on Shaping Fire after hearing so many good stories about them from my friends. They have A-plus customer service with lightning-fast response times. In most cases, Helene and Caitlin will get your order out the same day you place it. Most seed banks are simply not this organized or interested in getting your seeds to you so fast. But Gaslamp Seeds cares. You even get free seeds with every order. Helene and Caitlin get it. They have been in the cannabis growing scene for over a decade. Want some extra freebies? Use the code SHAPINGFIRE, all one word, at checkout, and they will give you an additional set of Gaslamp-provided freebies. That's an extra $30 in free seeds. Buy seeds from good folks who will send you great seeds reliably every time. Visit GaslampSeeds.com today. That's Gaslamp Seeds. One of the reasons why no-till cannabis growing is so valued by farmers is because the mycelium networks in the soil remain established from year to year. And we know these fungal networks are essential because they are the nutrient superhighways that extend far and wide in the substrate to feed your plants. The trouble with growing in new living soils or blended cocoa substrates is that it takes most of the plant's life just to create these mycelium highways. Dynomyco endomycorrhizal fungi inoculant reduces that time and gets your plant eating a wider array of nutrients faster. And it's three times the concentration of the other popular brand in the U.S. at 900 propagules per gram of two fungal species selected specifically for cannabis cultivation. Dynomyco is the result of 30 years of research and trials at the Volcani Agriculture Research Institute in Israel. It has also been vigorously trialed by cannabis and food growers across the U.S. Dynomyco is now available at grow shops and on Amazon in the United States. I love using Dynomyco to both speed up the growth of the mycelium networks in the soil, but also as a biostimulant to make clone cuttings more virile. You can see side-by-sides showing the comparative growth on their Instagram at Dynomyco. If you demand reliable growing results and appreciate the importance of an active root zone in creating a thriving plant, I encourage you to check out Dynomyco.com and use the store locator to find out where you can get yours. That's D-Y-N-O-M-Y-C-O.com. Shaping Fire listeners can get 10% off any size of Dynamico on Amazon or Dynamico.com by using the discount code SHAPINGFIRE, one word, no caps. Whether you are starting with new beds or pots, or if you want to add some zing to tired soil, choose Dynamico to maximize your plant's potential. Dynamico Endomycorrhizal Inoculant. Sometimes the topics I want to share with you are far too brief for an entire Shaping Fire episode. In those instances, I post them to Instagram. I invite you to follow my two Instagram profiles and participate online. 
The Shaping Fire Instagram has follow-up posts to Shaping Fire episodes, growing and processing best practices, product trials, and, of course, gorgeous flower photos. The Shango Los Instagram follows my travels on cannabis garden tours, my successes and failures in my own garden, insights and best practices from personal grows everywhere, and always gorgeous flower photos. On both profiles, the emphasis is on sharing what I've learned in a way that you can replicate it in your own garden, your own hash lab, or for your own cannabinopathic health. So I encourage you to follow at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los and join our online community on Instagram. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I am your host, Shango Los, and my guest today is phytocannabinoid researcher, Staten Laws. So here we are in the big third set. So Staten, you know, at the end of last set, we were talking about how aging and, you know, depending on how fast we're aging because of how much we're riding our body hard and abusing it, you know, all of those things will decrease our neurogenesis. And Uh, CBD and THC and some other cannabinoids can help support neurogenesis, but, um, you know, there's only so much can be done if, if, you know, we're, our body is aging, right? Either on its own or because we've been living hard. So would you explain a bit about, um, uh, you know, how this lack of neurogenesis, um, well, actually, before we go to that, I want to ask a definitional question. You know, so so often people are they'll say something and then they'll just say Alzheimer's disease and dementia, like like they'll group them together, but they won't put them in the same bucket. So, if you could, would you just give us a brief understanding of what's different between Alzheimer's and dementia? Because as a layperson, they kind of sound the same to me, but people always talk about them separately. So, I'm guessing there's a difference that I just don't know. Yeah, so dementia can be categorized into different forms, but Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. So if you were to say dementia is where these protein aggregates start to form and cause memory loss or body dysfunction and how it operates, as it progresses then it might form into a specific type of disease from dementia called Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease is kind of the end of the road of a form of dementia, and it's the most common form. Mm. So uh, we talked a little bit about the mechanics uh, last uh, set about you know precursors to dementia and then Alzheimer's and you know how how it progresses, um, uh, and and now you're talking about you know the the different um, uh, symptoms of the ailments, you know, um, um, uh, you know f- forgetting things and um, uh, uh, the changing relationship with one's body. Can you just pick one or two of those and um, and explain to us the mechanics of what's going on with Alzheimer's to cause the symptoms? So, so moving from what causes Alzheimer's to what does Alzheimer's cause? Okay, well, I'll I'll go with just the big definition and filter it down to what what happens. Mm -hmm. So, if we have these natural amyloid beta proteins in the brain and they form aggregates, then at the same sort of time, inside the cell are these neurofibular tangles, which consist of the hyperphosphylated tau protein. 
Now this is partnered, uh, this deleterious, deleterious part, part, process is partnered with reactive oxygen species, reactive nitrogen species, which is your oxidative stress, mitochondria damage, uh, that's inside the cell, outside the cell, reduction of acetylcholine levels, which we're talking about, plays a role in the neuroplasticity or the communication. Then these networks begin to lose their connections, so misplaced networks among neurons. Mm. Inside the hippocampus, we've seen that the, it actually shrinks, and we get this chronic neuroinflammation causing memory loss and cognitive impairment. And eventually, we can't even you know, to take care of ourselves in the end. Um, this idea of misplaced networks, um, that's a really, um, that's a very efficient phrase because it really does describe what I experience when interacting with um, Alzheimer's patients. Um, and also there's something about that phrase that captures some of the sadness of it too. Yeah, it's uh, it can you know really take you down a road that affects you and your family members. So, all right. So, so this brings us to a place where we know neurogenesis and neuroprotection are essential for our brain to function properly over the long term. And when it slows down with age, it leaves us open to debilitate, debilitating brain issues. And we also know from first set that the cannabis compound, the cannabis components, um, can support neurogenesis and neuroprotection. So, so obviously we've made the case like take some cannabis, right? So, so, um, so I'm going to ask you about um, some cannabis protocols that you think that might make sense for someone who who still has brain health and wants to keep it, and then and then. I'll kind of reapproach the question again for somebody who's already experiencing, um, you know, problems. So, so I guess this first one, let's let's throw this kind of in the in the longevity uh, bucket. Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about cannabinoids as a as a longevity tool, and and it really seems to work. So, so, so let's say that, like, you know, even though we know that everybody's got something wrong with them, um, well, let's say that we're talking about a person who's generally brain healthy, and they're not they're not experiencing dementia or Alzheimer's at this point, but but they don't they don't want to, right? And and or or maybe they're like me, and and some of that stuff runs in the family, right? So I want to I want to bioprotect against it in advance. So so what would you see as um, a, a a dosing protocol for somebody who is thinking more about um, uh, longevity and um, and and you know long term health um, before. Uh, so, something a, a brain disease has has uh, shown up. Um, I guess we got to always throw that disclaimer alert out. Ah, uh, yes, uh, this is not see medical, your medical doctor, yeah. or mm-hmm. uh, and make sure you see your phys- physician before taking a substance that is new to your body. So R- thank you for that. You, that. you beat me to it out I, on the table. I, that's usually my job, but you got it. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and are we talking all cannabinoids or just CBD? Um, well, um, I would like to hear what your your blend would be. If you're gonna, if you you know, maybe you're gonna tell me that a 
you know, a, a 20 to one of a, of a certain potency taken every day or twice a day. Um, you know, a, at this point, um, you have got all of this various information already pre-existing in your head. And so if, if you were to put together a best practice for a cannabinoid supplement to preserve uh, brain health, what would it look like? I would probably start with just CBD personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd never used cannabis and you're like i've heard cannabis uh, is going to help my brain as i age now i mean even we go back 20 years from now that was the you know talking you know the, the devil's tobacco mm-hmm. and uh now we're looking at it as a way to preserve our brain so let's start with cbd because it's probably the safest and I would almost have to say that if we're going to even ask this question, then we'd probably be concerned around the age of 30 to 40 if we're, if we're still healthy. You know, this is around about 65 is when dementia-like symptoms usually present themselves. So we're beyond that adolescent phase where THC is going to be as harmful as what we've experienced. And so we're in that phase where either CBD or THC could be helpful. So I would say starting with CBD because it can start to maybe help anandamide do its uh, do its thing with the CB1 and CB2 receptors. Plus there's some other benefits that come along with CBD. Now, if CBD is not effective and you slowly increment your dose and you're, you know, taking a plus 100 milligrams a day and still not seeing anything, then I would start adding THC in. And like you're saying, maybe starting at that 20 milligrams of CBD to one milligram of THC. And maybe we start, then we go 20 to five, 20 milligrams of CBD to five milligrams of THC, or maybe even go 50 CBD to five THC. But I would slowly increment, especially THC, and even more specifically, if you have an underlying psychiatric condition with THC, because it is quite psychoactive. And then finding that that right milligram dosage, and you know, uh, uh, THC has its own unique benefits all on its own right, uh, with helping the brain in many different facets outside of what we've mapped out pharmacologically. I believe so. Start slow see which one works best for you and generally having a higher amount of CBD to THC. Right on. That's great. And, and, you know, if, if, if you're at home listening to this and you're thinking about putting together, you know, a protocol of your own and, you know, maybe you are fortunate enough to be in a location where you can, you know, grow your, you know, high CBD very low THC, um, you know, plant some kind of high CBD hemp plant or something and make your own RSO. Um, that, that's very fortunate. And, and don't be shy about, um, you know, spiking it with CBD isolate because, you know, you can get really high quality CBD isolate out there right now. You know, you got to shop around, you know, you know, find, find somebody who, who stands by their cleanliness and their tests, you know, like, like a future compounds or somebody. And, um, and, 
and then and then don't be shy to spike with that to get up to the the CBD numbers that you're looking for um, because for for most folks growing your own high CBD hemp plants and processing it all um, is just not going to provide you with you know 100 milligrams of CBD a day plus THC it's you know you know if you've got a big farm like you know, maybe maybe you're that much of a baller, but for most people, that's not the case. And um, and you know, I used to talk trash about this approach, but you know, I think that part of what's important is that we all remain active learners, right? And and while I would love there to be um, so much, you know, CBD resin available to everyone at cheap prices that that we could only use that. Well, you know, when it comes to our health, um, you know, sometimes sometimes we have to do it. Um, in the way that works, um, not not the way that we necessarily want it to be. So so anyway, um, I just share that because I had to turn a corner about using isolate for some applications, and and um, it wouldn't surprise me if some of you were the same way. So so there's that. All right, so. Um, so so now that we've got this so thank you for this protocol this was this was a, this was exactly the level of specificity that I was looking for Staten. so so let's talk about a um a a different protocol because now and and who knows it might be that it might end up being the same protocol for you but but now we're talking about somebody who is an alzheimer's patient and you know They've, they've already been talking to their family that they wanted to try this, and their family is in support of it, I hope, and everybody's working together. Um, would you make any changes to this protocol to somebody who's already experiencing symptoms, who's already on this path? Not really, because mm-hmm. um, we just don't know how they're going to respond to either compound, CBD or THC or the plethora of other phytochemicals in this extract. But, you know, if if one's extremely irritable, then, you know, a faster-acting, lower dosage in what you can get your hands-on um, approach could be THC. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's a tricky question to address this with so many different countries, laws, states, and uh, financial burdens that getting a hold of these compounds will will do for that particular patient. So, I mean, it's easy to recommend if, if you're in a state that it's highly available, but it's even more difficult to recommend when one can't even afford the medication, especially when you're saying, oh, you know, you might, you need to be taking around 100 milligrams of CBD to get any sort of effect from it. When, you know, like here in Australia, the average milligram is about 10 cents. So you're looking at $100 a day for a medication that might work versus if you can get your hands on, you know, 100 milligrams of THC and divide that between 10 days, you might be getting more uh, therapeutic targets ticked by a less expensive uh, protocol. So once again, consult your medical doctor first and depending on where you live, it, it, it could somewhat dictate this protocol so start slow cbd is a little bit safer but you might work better with thc especially in later stages of alzheimer's disease right on so um what will our goal be um when the patient or uh, is taking the the protocol um 
with with neurogenesis are we are we just trying to like hold the line or is it possible that we can improve the patient um because uh, i believe that the the case is is that when we when we lose um neuron producing when when our when our neurogenesis flags and slows um it's 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 harder to create new cells that do this and so what we're just trying to do is is hold the line on our ability to produce to cause neurogenesis where it is and just decrease the the sliding of it um is that a, is that a correct understanding where where when we're supporting neurogenesis we're just going to be supporting where we're not where we're at we're not necessarily going to be improving it in such a way where um you know we could pull somebody back from the grips of alzheimer's for example yeah uh I've always got hope that no matter who you are out there, you're going to have the ability to create more brain cells in the right environment, let's just say, through your lifestyle and through maybe some uh, supplements that includes cannabinoids in the word supplements to your protocol. Now, if you've got enough uh, neurons that are functioning correctly and your goal here is to preserve these neurons we're looking at you know there's some potential for these cannabinoids to help these neurons from being affected by whether it is reactive oxygen species these cytokine storms from inflammation uh, and also from acetylcholterase from breaking down acetylcholine so with these exogenous cannabinoids they might help with our endogenous cannabinoids, such as CBD and anandamide, or THC might go in there and help stimulate some more uh, proliferation of these brain cells, and they might protect the ones that we already have and the functioning or the neuroplasticity of these brain cells. So yes, there's a lot of potential here for this to help on a cellular level, and then also on a behavior level of why these... Uh, symptoms of let's just say alzheimer's disease could be modified by these chemicals right on i follow that okay so let's let's take um, a step back one more time uh, as we're wrapping up here um so so we've we've talked about neurogenesis and neuroprotections we we understand how they work we understand how our ability to do that ourselves worsens with age and how we can support that system by using um by using cannabinoids excellent and and we've we've looked at the applications for you know just regular folks who want to take it as at as a supplement and the very similar protocol for folks who are actually um showing the impacts of the lack of neurogenesis in things like alzheimer's and dementia so so with all of that you know i i've not really seen it called this but for me that sounds like we're describing cbd as a nootropic do you consider cbd to be a nootropic yeah if it can improve cognitive function then it would be uh i guess fitting underneath the umbrella of a nootropic yeah, that's that's the way I see it too, and and so far I haven't seen it marketed that way. But um, it's it's interesting because like nootropics are like super hip for the you know the longevity folks, and and CBD is hip with a different group of people. But I haven't seen anybody like kind of cross market 
to both groups and call it a nootropic. So um, what I'd like to, to end the episode with, uh, Staten, is that I know that uh, you are, um, you know, you are a research scientist and you are looking at the specifics of neurogenesis. But I also know that, um, you know, you are a whole food advocate and you are a healer and, and, you know, you teach uh, yoga. And, and so you're kind of a, you know, a holistically minded researcher who's, you know, doing this, this balance between holistic mindset and, you know, Western medicine, which has got to be a very interesting balancing act for you. Um, but um, because you think about this all the time, um, I'd just like to like kind of hand you the mic and have you kind of take us out of, um, you know, what advice would you give to a human who wants to keep their brain um, functioning as far into life as they can with all the benefits of neurogenesis and neuroprotection, would you just describe some of the, you know, lifestyle attributes that this person may want to consider beyond simply taking a, a, a CBD and potentially THC protocol as we've described? So are we addressing just the general person that's after mind longevity, or are we addressing the Alzheimer's patient? I would say just a regular person, um, somebody who's not, uh, uh, you know, not experiencing Alzheimer's yet. Um, just, just somebody who wants to you know, keep their brain healthy. This is a general brain health question. Okay, well, we'll break it down with uh, the necessities again. So we got to have oxygen, water and nutrients so oxygen with uh breathing we all can learn to breathe better that's the truth how we breathe you can get into the anatomy but simply if there was one word i would say to use and to learn would be ujjayi breathing and that's a yogic concept i can get into that if you'd like but basically it's it's a way to take air in and out of the body with more efficiency Maybe just spell it, because uh, we won't go into it today, but people might want to look it up. I think it's you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. Yeah, it's funny. You double J-A-Y-I. Great. Uh, second, so what goes with yoga course is posture. Uh, learning how to lengthen the spine, keep it straight, which supports the blood flow or the nutrients into and out of the brain, which the next one would be understanding a little bit about the lymphatic system and helping the clearance of too much of these aggregate proteins throughout life. So it's also making sure your body, let's just call it clean, and it uh, is functioning to deliver nutrients, but also to remove or detoxify uh, these potential proteins in the brain that are going to mess you up which is what some of the you know ad drugs recently come out to do is actually to remove the proteins so we've got uh breath good clean water um and which considers you know some electrolytes if it came from a really clean natural source to make sure you're hydrated have good posture and then we get into you know doing our best to not 
expose ourselves to too many toxins. So trying to live in a natural place, trying to get outside. And if we looked at what can stimulate neurogenesis, I think probably one of the biggest ones is exercise. And uh, exercise produces more of that brain-detrived nootropic factor. It also creates more endogenous cannabinoids. So those two combined together is what helps the cells proliferate. Then we can kind of get into that neuroprotection side with uh, some of the protocols of our supplements that will help protect us. So when we get into nutrients, I'd probably be looking at uh, your omega-3s, like E3 Live, which is a, it's, um, uh, an algae that's quite high in DHA and EPA, which is known to support brain function. I'd look at making sure the diet is actually extremely high in plant secondary metabolites, which those include a big pool of the polyphenols. And if we looked at those specifically, it would be the flavonoids. And even maybe look at getting the microbiome up as far as the good bacteria. So making sure you take some form of a probiotic on a regular basis, whether it's through sauerkraut in the diet or whether it's through you know active yogurt uh, or something yeah something like that and maintaining that with lots of fiber so you got your pre which is your fiber you got your pro which is your bacteria and you combine those two together and you get these postbiotics so having a healthy microbiome these molecule or not molecules these bacteria in your gut will chew up fiber and basically create these postbiotics, which are nutrients that they create that are good for the brain as well. Like, for example, a lot of these flavonoids or polyphenols that we consume don't actually get into the body till they hit the, the gut bacteria, and then they get turned into things that are going to be good for us. So, uh, and then, you know, being positive about life, I think probably could be the number one thing to have a bit of a passion for whatever you're doing in life, whether it's doing the, the laundry or the dishes, just you know, being positive through the whole process. Having a will to live will ultimately ex- expand your lifespan. So keeping yourself healthy and feeling as good as possible definitely helps with that will to live. Excellent. I think that's a great list. And, and I got to admit, some of it isn't, you know, like the exercise um, isn't too surprising. But to um, to see it put together in such a elegant package with explanations about why, um, I, I, always, I always find it easier to do the healthy choice when I understand why I'm doing it instead of just like feeling like I'm not allowed to have something anymore, which um, doesn't usually work super great for me. But, um, but, but, but getting inspiration to go towards something I do want, like long-term brain health, especially since I've already had a brain injury, I don't really have anything to, you know, I don't have much left to lose. You know, I need to, I need to protect what I've got. So, so anyway, um, state, you, you've just been like absolutely delightful. I appreciate your ability to translate, um, a lot of this, you know, hardcore bench science that you do, um, you know, at the university uh, to translate it into lay language so that, um, you know, you can bring some of, um, you know, some of our lay people along with the citizen scientists, along with, you know, the caregivers and the doctors who listen to show, you kind of like provide um, in, in information in a way that, that you, we get to bring everybody along. And, um, you know, that's not a skill that everybody's got. So um, I appreciate that skill in you and um, your good heart and you're you're wanting to um 
you know, uh, be here and, and help. And also your willingness, like you're, you're doing this interview in the future, you know, since you're in Australia, you're actually doing this interview tomorrow while I'm, I'm having this interview tonight. So I, I appreciate a little bit of time travel as well. So thank you so much for being here on Shaping Fire. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I hope all the listeners out there uh, benefit from everything that's been discussed over the past 90 minutes, and we keep uh, transversing into the future to help each other understand you know, how natural plants and behavior and lifestyle modifications can all benefit at ma- no matter what stage of uh, life that we're at. Excellent. Thank you so much. So, dear listener, if you want to get in contact with State and Laws, there is one way to do it, and you can reach him uh, through his LinkedIn profile. Now, be realistic about the time it might take him to get back with you because he is actively, you know, working at the university and he's in the lab every day. He's not like other folks who are sitting at their computer all day or have PR departments to get back with you. You know, if if you if you have a question, if you want to connect, or 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 especially if you have an opportunity for him, um, you can uh, reach out to him um, through his LinkedIn. I also want to uh, uh, plug two other episodes because if you like this idea of, of longevity and uh, nootropics, uh, you probably also want to check out uh, the last episode of Shaping Fire number 108 on longevity and the endocannabinoid system with Hunter Land. Um, we talk a lot about keeping your endocannabinoid f- uh, system functioning over the arc of your life and things that you can do to keep your endocannabinoid system functioning over time. Um, And then also uh, Shaping Fire episode 36, which goes all the way back like three or four years ago now. Um, And that is with the fantastic Robert Littman. And this is an episode on on breathing, on cannabis and breathing. And I got to say, I think it's one of my favorite Shaping Fire episodes because of the uniqueness and usefulness of the information. He talks about, you know, how we breathe, the common mistakes people make in breathing, um, how breathing in um, uh, combusted smoke and vaporizing, you know, how that functions, and um, and and uh, here he he offers some uh, exercises to uh, improve your breathing as well. It's it's a very uh, delightful episode, and that's Shaping Fire episode thirty six. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news, exclusive videos, and giveaways. On the Shaping Fire website, you also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. Be sure to follow on Instagram for all original content not found on the podcast. That's at Shaping Fire and at Shango Los on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Shaping Fire YouTube channel for exclusive interviews, farm tours, and cannabis lectures. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Los.